Well, hello, Shiloh. My name is Steve Hamas. For those of you who don't me, don't know me, and um, I'm really pleased to be here. And uh, I'll be honest, it's really weird. It's weird that there's only a handful of people here. Um, but I know that you're there. And the thing is that I can tell if these people are sleeping. Because usually when I look out and you, you see people, there's some people sleeping along the way sometimes. But um, it's going to be really easy today. So I want to start by just uh, putting a shout out. And uh, Greg's sitting here, but I, and Monica's sitting here. And I want to just uh, commend them for uh, our staff and their leadership, I think that you guys have done such an awesome job. And I, and I think, Greg, your leadership during a time like this and, and our church family is just wonderful, and um, we're blessed by it. So thank you. Thank you, staff. You guys are amazing people. Um, and I'm blessed to be part of a church family that I love, and uh, I pray, pray that all you guys are doing well. And I know things have been different the past few weeks, and it's been crazy, but you know what? We serve a God... We serve a God who's not surprised. We serve a God who's completely in control. And uh, he says that he takes care of the sparrow. So not only does he take care of the sparrow, but he takes care of us. And he cares way more about our welfare and our, and our well-being. So Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And you know what? We're confident that God's in control and he continues to care for us. And sometimes these scriptures just hit, just hit home in a time like this. And it's easy to concentrate on all the negativity, but I really, really do believe that in a time like this, this is when us Christians, we Christians, are being called to look for the opportunities. There's a lot of people that don't have hope right now that are looking out at what's around them, and they don't see a way out. They, they just see trouble. They see negativity. But we're to be aware for the opportunities and to see the good in humanity, and we want to be those people that stand strong. So... That's my uh, encouragement to you during the midst of all this. So today we're going to wrap up our series in James and on chapter 5. And I have really, really enjoyed the past four weeks of what the guys have brought. And I thought it'd be good just to kind of do a little recap of what, what they've been talking about over the past four weeks. And if you can do it online, if you've missed a couple weeks, go back and take a look. Because this, this series has been so chock full of, of good things. So Josh started us off in week one about being an active doer of the word versus a forgetful hearer, and he had a great example of a, of a piece of tin that he shined to see yourself and how it takes work to, to shine it up, and I just thought that was such a great analogy. But he, he kind of made the points of making a decision to believe what God's Word says, and to use God's words in your prayer and to build muscle memory by doing that, and it was, it was a great start to our series. And then Greg came along with Gino's cheese steaks and Pat's steaks, and uh, Remember Gino's steaks where it said that you, when ordering, order in English, right? And uh, he brought Dave Michaud and Ed up here. Remember that? And he had them, and we, and we were sitting there thinking Dave Michaud was a slob because he looked like a slob that day, and I was fully planning to talk to him that night or that after service that day, just about, hey, come on. But it was, it was the great illustration of how we, how we show favoritism, and we're not supposed to show favoritism. And then he talked about Pat's steaks, wit or without the works. And, and I could be a Pennsylvania person and say, wit or without the works. But we're not saved by works. We're saved for works. And I think that was such an awesome takeaway from that week. And genuine faith produces works. And he says, is the fruit of your life being consistent with being a believer? And then Ed came in and, and gave us a lesson on, on our tongue and what we talk about and he made the point that our lives are so involved with other people that we do so many things that can influence people that we really need to be careful about how we use our words 
And much of the outcome of our lives is centered around what we say. And there's a lot of truth to that. And so he said, you know, control our tongue. It can do a lot of damage and it can do a lot of goods. But let's learn to separate our emotions from our words. And let's speak faith-filled words. And then last week, uh, Greg brought chapter 4 and talking about drawing close to God and washing your hands. And if we draw close to God, he will draw close to us. That we can wash our hands and purify our hearts. And he challenged us with, how do you come to God? Do you come to God with a two-second wash and, and you're done and you've got a prideful heart? Or do you spend time in front of God, 20-second wash with a humble heart and spend time with him? Draw close to God and he'll draw close to you. And I just think this whole book of James is so full of practical guidance. If you were to just spend a month reading a chapter of James each day, you'd walk out of a month as a different person. And I was contemplating on this this week. Of when James wrote this letter, he had no idea who would be reading it. He wrote it to the 12 tribes of Israel. He had no idea who would read it. And I bet when the last ink dried on his parchment, he had no idea that in 2020, on March 29th, we would be reading his letter and asking God, God, can you make this come from our heart, our heads down into our heart? He had no idea. But, you know, as I've done this and, and read through these chapters, I've, I've got an admiration for James because I think that, you know, he was torn about this whole thing, if you think about it. You know, he belonged to this family. He had a great mom and dad. Dad, from what we know, was the carpenter, and his mom was a great mom. But here God decided to take this family. He picked them, and he picked his son to just be deposited into this family as the firstborn. And then James had other brothers and sisters too, but they got this oldest sibling who thinks he's the savior of the world. And if you think about it, James grew up sharing a bedroom with Jesus. He saw him in the morning with messed up hair, bedhead, and he smelled his bad breath in the morning. They had late night talks sitting by each other, and yet you've got this older brother claiming to be the son of God. And he doubted it. Of course he doubted it. Who, who wouldn't doubt that, that your brother says, yeah, I'm the, I'm the savior of the world? <laughs> so if you think about that, I, I give him a lot of credit. And he doubted it all along the way until he saw his brother in ministry until he saw what he went through, until he saw that he was crucified, until he saw that he was raised again. And that made him a 100% sold-out believer. And, and why wouldn't it, right? But the main crux of his letter and that he writes is that, you know, look, if you believe who Jesus says he was, if you follow the way that he says to live and you're a genuine believer, that genuine faith is going to propel you to do something. And you're going to have works in your life that bear fruit. And he argues that limp faith and being double-minded about it is the basis for sin. So in chapter 5, if you want to get your Bibles out, however, you, however you're reading it, we're going to start with verse 7. But he started a little bit before that, and he just gave a warning to rich people. And just saying, how you treat people is critical, and don't treat people poorly. But we're going to kind of start in verse 7, because there's some nuggets that I really want to take away today. In verse 7, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who wait patiently for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. And you, too, must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. And patience, that word patience, that, that hit me this week because we're not a patient society. We don't have patience for patience. Um, you know, I'm impatient about a lot of things. Uh, my, my biggest thing is driving. When I drive on Route 101, and, and I know there are people that agree with me, why can't people go the speed limit? 
is 50 miles an hour, and they go 40, or they go 35, and I'm, I don't have the patience for it. Just go 50. You don't even have to go over 50. Just go 50. So I drive a lot, and it's just a pet peeve of mine. Um, also, when people drive and they want to turn, get over and then make the turn. You don't stop down to 10 miles an hour and make the turn from the middle of your lane. Just do it, you know? I, I know, it's just me. But anyway, this week we had to fire up our home computer because we were going to do some scanning because Lord knows we have some time. So we had to scan some documents. And it took 20 seconds for our scanning program to start. And I was telling Karen, we need a new computer. This thing took 20 seconds to start, and my Mac is so much faster. I don't have patience to wait 20 seconds, you know? What's the hurry? What's the hurry? So I grew up in Iowa, and when you're a teenager in Iowa, and I don't know how it is now, but back then you had two options in the summertime. You could either beanwalk or you could detassel, and that's probably foreign language to a lot of you, but for beanwalking, you would go in the bean fields and you would hoe out the weeds, and, or you detasseled, and I was more of a detasseler than a beanwalker, but what would happen is the teacher would go up, because they're often in the summers, they would go to the farmers and they would contract to take on several thousand acres. And they would write a contract that they would detassel or beanwalk these acres. They would turn around and hire all the high schoolers to come help them. So we would get hired by our teachers for the summer job. And we would go out about 4, 35 o'clock in the morning before the sun came up. And you would go between the rows. And the corn was up here. And, and you've seen corn plants with a tassel. You would grab the tassel and you would pull it out. And, and the older the corn was, the harder it was. So you would go like this and it would make a pop. You would do four rows of that, and the fifth row that you would leave the tassel in because that tassel would pollinate the corn on either side, and that's how they got the corn to grow. So you would start, and you would go down the rows, and you would do this for eight hours a day. And we were jacked by the time summer was over, just like Popeye. We had a noodle bottom. It was just skinny, but every Iowa person who detasseled, you were beefy by the time the summer was over. And I remember there was a farmer once that we were, we were getting started, first, first in the season. He would come out and he would meet all of us because he would know that we're high schoolers. And he would say, I don't want you guys running between the rows. I don't want you having parties, flattening all the corn. I've done my part. I planted the seed. I, I hoed all the ground. I got the seed in the ground. And now I just need the sun and I need some rain and I need time. And it just kind of stuck with me as we're walking through those corn rows of it just took time. And you know what, you guys? Um, we're waiting for the Lord to come back. I'm excited for Jesus to come back. I think it's going to be an awesome time when we get our Savior back here with us. And I'm, I'm really excited. But in the meantime, he says, you have to be patient. Be patient. And why does he say that? What's so important about that? And I think that's because there's something to be learned in the waiting period. There's something to be learned. It's, it's when you become ripe. It's when you become sweet in your spirit. It's when you mature and you become to have something to offer others. It's when you start to bear fruit. And he goes on to say in this chapter, he says, For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance, and you can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. You know, the other day I was just watching as the wind was blowing and just looking at the trees and, and just remarkable how far they can blow over. And I thought, you know, it's the way that they're able to do this, and Greg, you, you alluded to it, they send their roots so far deep in the ground. 
And then they allow the top half to be blown. And every time it's blown, in each direction, it gets stronger. So the tree is stronger from being blown. And right now, you guys, we're being blown around. Uh, Karen and I have been reading. We've been sending our roots down this week by reading God's Word every night. We've been reading Psalm 24 and Psalm 91. And if you, if you want, go through the Psalms. They're great, great promises from God. And they were written by David when he was in the middle of a storm, when he was, had people trying to kill him. And, you know, right now as we're being blown around a bit, this is the time. This is the time to send your roots down, to get into God's Word. And you might be blown around on the top, but you'll get stronger because of it. I heard a long time ago that there were three things that God will do in the middle of a storm. And I take great, con- what do you call it? Comfort. <laughs> I know that's hard. It's <laughs> a hard, great comfort in these three things. But the first is that God can prevent you from going through a storm in the first place. He can see you have a storm coming, and he can prevent you from even having to experience it. Number two, he can deliver you right out of the middle of it. In the middle of a storm, God can take you and deliver you right out of it. Or the third thing is he can walk you all the way through it and out the other side. And you know what? We have to stand in this. And the caveat to all those three things is no matter what, you have to trust him. And you have to trust his plan, and you have to trust his outcome. If we sit there and we try to dictate to God what we want him to do or what we expect him to do, that's not really trusting him, is it? It's telling him what we want him to do. You might know this song, Patience in the Storm, or Praise You in the Storm by Casting Crowns, and and I just love these words. It says, I was sure by now, God, you would have reached down and wiped our tears away. You would have stepped in and saved the day. But once again, I say, amen, and it's still raining. And I'll praise you in the storm, and I will lift my hands, for you are who you are, no matter where I am. And I love it. It's faith without fear. You know, as a small business owner, and many of you guys are in the same, same boat, but these last two weeks have been the toughest weeks I, I think I've ever experienced in being a small business owner. Um, there were a lot of really, really hard decisions uh, that affected a lot of people in my company this, these past two weeks, things that I've never thought that I would have to make or do. Um, we had a real estate transaction that was supposed to happen. I very much needed it to happen, and it was supposed to close this, this Tuesday, and the buyer backed out. Um, just crazy, crazy times. But I got the opportunity to talk to people during this week about what they're concerned about, what their fears are, you know, what do they have to lose. And Tuesday night as I was kind of preparing the sermon, I was sitting in our room and I'm, and I'm talking to God. And I don't know how you hear God, but God so clearly asked me this question. And he said, you know what, Steve? In the end times, they're going to get really bad. End times are going to be horrible. When you look around you, all around, it's going to be bad. And I'm not saying that these are the end times, Steve, but what type of Christian are you going to be? What type of Christian are you going to be? Are you going to crumble or are you going to stand firm? Are you going to be encouraging others or are you just going to be worried about everything? And will you trust me no matter what? No matter what you see happening around you. You know what? And those are excellent questions. And God told me, he says, make up your mind now. That cut to me and said, I have to make up my mind now who I'm going to be in the midst of a storm. I have to make up my mind how I'm going to act. I have to make up my mind what I'm going to believe. Because when the storms come, and they do, just like now, I have to know ahead of time who I'm going to be, no matter what the evidence around me shows. 
And you know, we love the mountaintop experiences. We love it when we're here on a Sunday and we're all sharing and worship and we're talking and things are normal. We love it in the economy when every gear turns the other gear and it's humming along. And those are the mountaintop experiences. But God has told us so many times, we've said it here in church, you know it, this is the valley. This is the valley. And then the valley is when we grow. So who are you when the rubber meets the road? You know, the beauty of being a follower of God really is that he'll always provide for you, and he'll never give you more than you can handle. He might stretch you, and you might feel it, and it might hurt, but he's growing you, and he's testing you, and he's allowing you to grow. You know, I think that when James told us this, I think he knows people so well. This next part that he wrote, it it, it just cracks me up. He He says this, he goes, Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. And it's like, come on, man. I love to grumble. And I know that, you know, what's more fun than ripping a person to shreds when they're a jerk? But you know what? There's so many people, and you guys might be there right now. You're at home with your kids. You know, I heard this one parent call into a teacher and said, look, I've been homeschooling for two hours, and I've already expelled one of my kids, and I've suspended the other. I don't know how you do this every day. But we're here. We're in this situation. And he says, don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters. And, in, and you know what? It's satisfying to do that, but at the same token, we've got to take, take his word for what it is. The judge is at the door. And the truth really is that as we judge other people, as we grumble about each other, as we rip on each other, we always look for the best in us and we ignore all the, all the bad things. But we wouldn't measure up to our own measuring stick half of the time. We would fail to measure up against our own standards. So, He goes on to say this little ditty here. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't have to add anything to it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. So a couple other nuggets that James has for us that as as we wrap up this whole book of James, he says this. He says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone, I think I did that twice, I'm sorry. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So let me ask you, where are you today? Where are you? Are you in trouble? He says to pray. Are you happy? He says to sing. He says, are you sick? Ask the elders to pray over you and anoint you with oil. And you know, we do this at Shiloh, and and we ask if you are sick, and we can't so much do it now because of where we are. But when we get back together, if you're sick, call on the elders. There's nothing special about us. We're not doing anything different. We're just being obedient to the word. We'll come, we'll pray with you, we'll anoint you in oil. And, And we'll pray for you to be healed. And we do it because we want to be obedient to the word. So if that's you, and you've been struggling with something, call on us. Have us come pray with you. And I appreciate the fact that James says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. Because I look at that and I think, well, if he says that, then what about the opposite? If we don't confess our sins to one another, you won't be healed. I don't know. It says it in the Word. Now is my favorite part. This to me, out of the whole chapter, is, is the best verse. It says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that because if you're following Jesus, if you're living intentionally, you're not trying to sin, you're trying to follow 
how he lives and how he's taught you to live, if you're doing that, then you're living a righteous life. If you're living a righteous life, he says, your prayers are powerful and effective. And I think we forget that. Your prayers, you guys, what we do during this whole stretch of time, what we do, your prayers are powerful and they're effective. That alone should make us get on our knees and pray. Your prayers are powerful and effective. And lastly, I want to read the last verse from the message version. And sometimes the message just hits home for me. And he says this, My dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them. Get them back. And you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. You know, so do you have somebody in your life that's wandering? Do you have somebody in your life who's, who's just walking off in their faith? He says here, don't write them off. Don't forget about them. Go after them. What a great time during this time we have now to make a call to somebody who you think has done that, who they're, wa- they're just waffling in their faith. Go after them. Pray for them. Protect them because your prayers for them are powerful and they're effective. Let's not sit idly by, Christians, as we sit there and we go through this time. These are tough times right now. And they're trying times, but they're opportunities for us to build our faith. They're opportunities for us to step out, to pray for other people with your powerful and effective prayers. So I want to close today, and I want to come all the way, full circle, all the way back to James 1. Okay, and I want to read it out of the message version because it's, it, it's, it's funny. When we read these verses and when we read the Bible, when things are going well, they have such a different meaning than when you're in the middle of it. And I think James 1, we've read this three million times, and it's just right now, it just adds a whole, new, a whole new message and a whole new meaning to it. So out of the message version, he says this, consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. If you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get His help, and you won't be condescended to when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. People who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves, Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way, adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. Has a whole new meaning in a time like this, doesn't it? But what a powerful, powerful message to keep keep in front of the Lord and consider it a pure, pure joy for him to do something within us. So, you know, I don't know where you are today and, and how corona has hit you with the virus and even this stay-at-home order. Maybe Maybe you're home today and you're worried about next week. Maybe you're worried about tomorrow. Maybe you lost your job this week. Maybe you got laid off. Maybe you're worried about your parents. You know, there's a million aspects to this whole thing. But I think if we could join together today, and I just want to ask you a question. So if you'd join me, and let's just lift our hands. And I want to ask you this question. If you were to lose everything, and all you had was God, would it be enough for you? That's a hard question. But would God alone be enough for you? 
So Father God, we come to you today, and I'm going to ask my brothers and sisters to join me. We come to you with empty hands because everything that we have is yours. It's not ours. It's yours, God. And if you were to take all of it and we had you, that's enough. So Lord, we don't see everything that you're doing, but I know that you're working for your glory and everything that you're doing, you're in control of. So we release everything that we have, Lord, to you. And we place our trust in you. God, that we wouldn't falter, we wouldn't fail. Lord, that you would fill us, that we can stand on your promises. You're the same today as you were the day that you created the earth and before that. So we stand with that today, Lord, in front of you and just ask during this, during this time of coronavirus, we pray for so many people, Lord. But we come to you and we give you our fears. We give you all that we're concerned about for this upcoming week, these upcoming days, Lord, and we're just going to trust you. We give that to you, Lord. So, Father God, as we close today, I thank you, Lord, and, and I do pray for the first responders, Lord, those people who are on the front lines. We pray for their protection, God. We pray for those who are in difficult circumstances right now. We ask for your peace to come upon them. We ask for your peace to be in their hearts and in their minds, Lord. We pray for the churches as they're stepping out and trying to meet needs, Lord, that we're able to do this. We pray for a turning of the nation back to you, Father God, that as we've wandered away as a nation, that this would be a time when we would come back to you. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our president of the cabinet, Congress, all of our leaders, Lord, that they would be looking to you first, that they would be trusting you, looking to you for guidance, Lord. We trust you, Father God, and we give you this time that we have. We give you this extra time to, to get on our knees, Lord, and, and to just be praying and prayers and, and driving our roots down deep, Lord. Thank you, Father God, for protecting us and for being with us, Lord. Thank you for what a mighty Savior that you are. And we give you the praise and the glory. So I'd ask for that. You, if you need prayer for something, feel free to reach out to us, to, to email us, to text us. Um, we'd love to be praying with you. Um, if there's anything that we can do for you for this time as a church, we pray that you would just please, don't be shy, reach out. We'd love to help. So pray for a blessing on you this week as you go through this next week. And, and looking for the opportunities and who you can be and making up your mind of how you're going to be. I pray for you in that. Have a good day. Thank you.